Well, guys, good morning. I'm excited about this today. Um, it's the, the first weekend in summer, and uh, the kids are on summer break, and I'm so thankful for every one of you uh, who made it out here today to worship with us. Uh, but starting off this summer, I wanted to talk from the idea, the truth about following Jesus, the truth about following Jesus. And I want to take a look at an interesting turn of events that took place in the lives of Jesus and the 12 disciples, the 12 young men who literally followed Jesus everywhere he went for three and a half years. All of us are familiar with the term Christian. We call ourselves Christians. We, we, we know what the term Christian means, but I think a lot of us complicate the word Christian because Christian simply defined is just a follower of Christ. Do you know that when Jesus uh, started his church, when the church is talked about in the book of Acts, after Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, uh, when he came back and the church began, the church was known as the way. So the followers of Jesus, they were called the way when they gathered together. And, and the reason why is because they knew that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So since they knew the way to forgiveness, they knew the way to salvation, they knew the way to eternal life was through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They called themselves the way and everyone else did as well. And it's not until the book of Acts chapter 11 in the city of Antioch, there's a group of believers there, followers there, a group from the way that there was... There was people from the outside world looking at them and in a derogatory sense started saying, look at this group of people. They, they try to act like Jesus Christ. They, they try to follow Jesus and they're trying to live life like Jesus. They're just trying to be like Jesus. So they started in a derogatory way calling them Christians. They're just trying to be like little Christ, like followers of Christ. And it stuck. And it stuck because that's exactly the idea of what it means to be a Christian, in its simplest form, we're followers of Christ, that we've received forgiveness. We've asked Jesus to forgive us of our sins and, and to save us, to give us a home forever in heaven. But then we, we follow the call of Jesus for those of us that have received salvation, where he just says over and over and over again, he says, follow me, follow me. So I want to look today and, and talk about this idea of following Jesus. And I think the best way to do it is to first look at this group of 12, these young men who follow Jesus every day. The theme of their life, if you think about it, was really simple. I mean, they had to do some difficult things. But the overall idea of it, what do you do as a follower of Christ? Well, they just got up every day and they looked at Jesus and they did what Jesus did. So if Jesus is going to get up and eat, then we're going to get up and eat. If Jesus is going to go to another city, we're going to follow him to that city. If he's going to speak and minister, then we're going to speak and minister. If he's going to get quiet, then we're going to get quiet. If he's going to sit down and eat or he's going to sleep, then we're going to do the same. Their lives were very simple in the fact that when it became evident in their lives with followers of Christ, what do you do? I just see what Jesus does and I do what Jesus does. Well, the Bible declares for you and I, those of us who have received forgiveness of our sins in a relationship with Jesus, that you and I are now the followers of Jesus, that we are his disciples walking in his footprints and, and being Christians, being Christ-like all over the world. So really, what does that mean? On such a simple level, it means that you and I, we get up every day and we see what Jesus is doing and we do what he does. 
and we speak to the things that Jesus speaks to, and we stay quiet about the things when he chooses to be quiet. If he's going to get up and go somewhere, if he's going to show love to someone, we're going to do the same thing. We just, we follow Jesus. But the only difference is from the 12 disciples is to you and I, Jesus is invisible. I mean, let's be honest, it makes it a little more difficult, right? Because the Bible says, you know, we, we walk by faith, not by sight. So what that means for you and I is it's by faith that we see into the unseen and we follow our ever-present yet invisible Jesus. And we do it by the leadings of the Holy Spirit who lead us to, to follow him in certain directions. But one of the clearest ways that you and I can do it is by looking into the scriptures and seeing what Jesus did in following the exact lifestyle, the exact way that Jesus walked, that that's the way that you and I can walk today together. So the title of this message is The Truth About Following Jesus. And we're going to talk about this certainly next week, maybe for, for some weeks to come. Um, and I think oftentimes, for those of us in this room, we're, we're believers and we believe we're following Jesus. But just to start this thing off and get right into it, I wonder if sometimes you and I don't take a day off. Maybe sometimes we don't take a week off from following him. Maybe sometimes we skip entire trips that Jesus is trying to lead us on. So let's look today at John chapter 4. It's a great opportunity for us to see into the lives of these 12 disciples that were following him and see how Jesus led them into some pretty interesting circumstances. John chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So, so Jesus decides, you know, I'm going to get out of here. He's saying, they're trying to pit me and John against one another. He's like trying to make a competition. They're keeping score of who he's baptizing and who I'm baptizing. They're, they're posting it on Instagram and trying to like make a competition out, out of who's following who. He said, you're missing the point. That's not what this is about. So before the Pharisees could, could try to pin Jesus and John into some sort of competition, he said, that's not what this is even about. He said he's going to leave. So verse 3 says, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now one of the most overlooked and yet profound in its implication verses in the New Testament, in this story for certain, is verse 4. You could overlook this, but there's so much meaning to it. Verse 4 says, now he had to go through Samaria. It says that he had to go through Samaria. Now, contextually, to the ancient Jewish mind, this is a very agitating verse. Because in their culture, the idea of having to go into Samaria was something that was completely unacceptable. And I'm jumping ahead, so we're going we're gonna to get back into this here in just a moment but verse 5 says so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well it was about noon and when a Samaritan woman came to draw water Jesus said to her will you give me 
a drink. And just because of time constraints, I'm going to go ahead and jump forward to verse 25 and paraphrase a little bit. I want to encourage you to read this entire story on your own so you don't miss any of the beautiful details in it. But, but basically, they show up at this well, and, and Jesus instantly, he, he takes this group of 12 boys, and he says, I, I, I'm tired. I want you to go into town now. Go into Samaria, into Sychar, and I want you to get something to eat and then come back. And Jesus begins a conversation now with this woman at the well, as many of us know it. Uh, she's a Samaritan woman, and she's how should I say, uh, she's basically a desperate housewife, okay? She's got some issues. Um, she's had several failed marriages. She's with the man right now that, that she's not married to this man. She's got like a live-in boyfriend, and Jesus starts talking to her about all the details of her life, and it shocks her, and she starts saying, whoa, wait a minute, you must be like a prophet. Like, were you a fortune teller or something? How do you know all this about me? And getting freaked out about the fact that Jesus knows the intimate details about her life, she starts trying to change the subject, and she thinks, well, how about we debate about some social issue right now? You know, Jews think we should worship this way. Samaritans think we should worship this way over here and what do you say about this and she's she's like trying to 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 turn the the focus and the light off of her onto some other issue as Jesus is trying to talk to her about who she is and what's going on with her and you see she gets flustered because she's the one that changed the subject and brought it to an argument about worship and then she says in verse 25 she says the woman said I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes he will explain everything to us so in other words, she's saying, how about this? How about we just agree to disagree? You know, you can think the way you think, I'll think the way I think. And someday there's going to be the Messiah. The Christ is going to come and he's going to work all of this out for us. Looking there into Jesus' eyes and Jesus responds back to her. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Verse 26 or verse 27, then, just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Probably because they were chicken. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, have something to eat. I want to use this particular passage as we look into the lives of Jesus and these 12 disciples in just this moment. And I want to, I want to look into this in a way and hopefully we can all understand a little bit more about the truth of what it means to follow Jesus. So I'm going to do my best in this time that we have together uh, this morning to make three observations about this passage and what it means to you and what it means to me on how we follow Jesus on an everyday basis. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just ask you right now in the precious and powerful and mighty name of Jesus that you would come into this room with us and that you would speak to us now. I pray that you forgive me for I have failed you and I just ask that you get me out of the way from what you want to do today and I pray that you would do powerful things in this place, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, help us to understand this, this scripture, help us to understand you more and your love for us more today, God, so that as we leave here, we would look so much more like you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. You know, a couple months ago, uh, I went on quite an adventure. I went on a 14-mile hike. 
Now, for some of you that are hikers and you are athletic, that's probably like no big deal. But when you're like me and you haven't worked out for a long period of time, a 14-mile hike, it's a big deal. And I came home from this hike and, uh, and I came into the house and I was just like, just barely getting in the house. Every part of my body was sore. I flopped down on the couch. My knees were sore. My ankles were sore. My back was sore. My muscles were sore. And I told Alma, I'm like, babe, come in here. Would you get me some Advil? I am hurting. And she's like, why did you go on a 14-mile hike? And I had to admit to her that this hike began early in the morning when I got up and walked into the bathroom. And I stood on the scale. And as I looked down, I saw that number. You know the number. Many of you have the numbers. That number you promised yourself. You're never going to see that number again. And I saw that number plus seven this day on the scale. <laughs> I've got to do something about this. And I just, I was determined. You know what? I, I'm going to whip myself back into shape. I'm going I'm to get back at it. So I went out and I, instead of going like on a little three mile hike and starting back like normal people do, I'm like, I'm hiking all day. I'm going to like burn the fat off today. And I hiked until I looked down at my GPS said I was seven miles in and I thought, uh-oh, I got to turn around. And by the time I got back, I'm now laying on the couch and for two days, I laid there. Every part of my body hurt. And Amelie came to say, what are you doing? Why did you do this to yourself? And she's like, and finally I had to admit to her, I'm like, babe, I'm just, I looked at the scale. I'm back up. I am overweight right now. She goes, well, go on a diet. And I told her, woman, watch your mouth. Do not use that language in front of me. Excuse me. That horrible word from the pit of hell right there, diet. Oh, my gosh. There's kids around, right? No, no, I would much rather go on long hikes all day long. I would much rather train. I would be, much rather be in pain for days than have to go through the discomfort and the discouragement of having to skip a basket of chicken wings. No. And she looked at me and just rolled her eyes and took another bite of her kale salad. And I'm like, you do your thing, I'll do mine, okay? And I had to explain to her how ridiculous it was, but I understood it. It's like, there are certain things that because of the pain and the discomfort of it, because of the challenge of it, I just try to avoid. And let's be honest, like, I try to avoid things like dieting. I just don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable. Am I the only one here? Like, no, okay, pray for me, pray for me. But we do. We try to avoid things, right? Just because they're uncomfortable. I mean, gosh, it's embarrassing. I'm a, I'm a grown man. I'm raising children, and yet the dentist will call to remind me to schedule an appointment. I'm like, oh, I can't take that call. Oh, my gosh. Right? I think we all have things that we try to avoid in life. Why? Because they're comfortable, uncomfortable. They're, they're painful. Maybe they're discouraging. They're challenging. And and we, before we like jump on ourselves and try to beat ourselves up too much, I think we should slow down and realize that that's just part of being human. Because every one of us, we have things that we try to avoid. Whether you're willing to admit it or not, we, we all have things in our life that, truth is, because of pain in different areas, there, there are circumstances we try to avoid, conversations we try to avoid. Because life brings pain. You know, in relationships, there's pain. In work, there's pain. You know, in, 
it finances and conversations with your spouse, there's pain. When it comes to reading the scripture, it can be painful, actually. Or having, having the scripture read you, as I've heard so many people say before, just reading the Bible and allowing it to identify things in your life, even that can be painful. And life comes with so many things where there's pain and there's dif- discomfort. And, and we look at those things, and, and for so many of us, we go, oh, I, I don't know about that. I don't want to experience the pain. I, I just want to avoid that. I think in a funny way, I could tell you I try to avoid diets. I try to avoid going in to see the dentist, but I think in a real way, every one of us in here have things that we would admit we try to avoid that are are probably a lot bigger than just a diet or just the dentist. But if we look at Jesus and we look at the fact that we want to be like Jesus, we want to follow him, and we look at his life and we see that Jesus is someone who, who walked right into the middle of pain. It's not like he went looking for pain, but as pain came up, he went through difficult situations. And we see he was persecuted. And we see as he hung on the cross, dying for your sins and for mine, he hung there thinking about and caring about the men who hung on either side of him. If we look at Jesus who loved through some of the most painful and some of the most difficult times, how is it you and I think that we could follow him and we could be like him if our way to try to get there is in trying to avoid pain, right? Because life will send us seasons of pain. In fact, I could pass the microphone around, and I think we would be surprised by some of the stories that could pop up in this room, by some of the incredible difficulties and challenges and painful things that are happening to some of the people in this room right now. If you've lived any life at all, you know that, that life will dish out its seasons of pain. But as followers of Christ, I wonder... If maybe Jesus is leading us to not just try to avoid the pain and avoid the uncomfort and avoid the challenges of life, but maybe when we face these things, we lean into him and allow God to address the painful things in our life and address the challenges. I think that's where the scripture brings us in John chapter 4, particularly in verse 4. We see that there is an entire people group who are avoiding a geographical location. That the Jewish people are avoiding an entire region because of who lives there. They're, they're in, avoiding the entire region of Samaria. And it's because of racial prejudice. The Jewish people were incredibly uh, racist towards the Samaritans. They believed that they were like a mixed breed. They were like only half Jews. They were like half worthy uh, of being talked to, half worthy of doing business with. You should never do business with someone like this. You should never go near them. Their towns aren't good enough to go into. Their streets aren't good enough to walk on. This is what they taught their kids. You should avoid them. Certainly never do business with them. Don't talk to them. And God forbid you ever like sit down and have a meal with them. To the point to where Jewish people were taught to travel and actually go out of their way to never even step foot into the region of Samaria. In fact, I brought a map and this is a map of uh, what the land looked like back in this time. And we see Judea is on the south, Samaria in the middle, and up to the north is Galilee. And it says that, that Jesus was traveling from Judea up into Galilee. Now, most Jewish people were taught that, that the Samaritans were, were so wrong, so disgusting. There's so much bigotry here that they were taught, never walk into Samaria. You should always travel all the way over to the Jordan 
Jordan River and travel up the Jordan River and then go back into Galilee once you've arrived past Samaria. The, tra- the trip from, from Judea up to Galilee would only be 70 miles. But Jewish people will try to add an additional 60 miles to that, making the trip 130 miles just so that you never even step foot into this area where there's these people that we don't quite understand them. We don't agree with them. They don't see things the same way we do. We, we, we don't agree with them on a moral level. We don't agree with them on a political level. So we're going to do whatever we can to try to avoid it. So, so here we have a group of people who were taught, no matter what, avoid the Samaritans. Don't ever be around them. And this verse so frustrates the minds of the ancient Jewish people, as the Bible says so clearly here. It says, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. See, we know, just based on what everyone else was doing at the time, physically he did not have to go through Samaria. He could have taken the long way just like everyone else did and gone around Samaria. So physically, it's not that Jesus had to go there, but in the scripture it points out very powerful powerfully that as Jesus was leading his followers, he had to go to this place where they were avoiding. So your Savior and mine, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, has to take people sometimes to that place where they're avoiding. And we see what happens is now they arrive in Samaria, they get to a well, and Jesus is tired, and he sits down, and he sends the boys on an errand. Guys, I want you to go get some lunch for me. Would you go get some food in town? And think about this. Put yourself in these boys' shoes in this place culturally right now. They've been taught by their parents, never even stepped foot in here. There's racial tension. This is a bad place to be. And Jesus goes, go in there and get some food. What would that errand have looked like? Now, here we got... Twelve teenage boys walking together into this town. And everywhere they look, there's hundreds of eyes looking back at them going, what are these guys doing here? Who do they think they are? You know, because when they saw the 12 disciples coming, they see 12 Jewish people. They see 12 oppressors. These are the, this is the same people group that caused problems for my grandparents and my parents and for me and for my kids. What do they think they're doing here in our city? And now you got this group of, of teenage boys coming through going, excuse me, sir, do you have anything we can eat? Can we buy some bread from you? No. You keep walking. You get out of here. Well, I'm not serving you. You keep moving. Get out of our town. And to the next person, excuse me, can I, can I get something to eat? Why do you think you want something from me? Keep moving. Can you imagine the tension that must have taken place there? And we know they're successful because the Bible says that later they came back and they came back with food. So somewhere along the way, they were able to get food. And could you imagine the relief they must have felt when they finally got out of the city and they're thinking, man, I'm glad that's over. That was stressful. That was why, why are we even here? Has anyone thought, like, why is Jesus bringing us here? My parents told us not to come here. Like, this is, like, weird stuff, and Jesus sent us to go get food from them. Like, we probably shouldn't tell people that we're eating food from Samaria. That's going to, like, it's not going to go well right now. And they come back, and just when they're thinking that, like, finally, there's some relief. We're out of this awkward situation. They look ahead, and they see that the situation is so much worse than they ever thought. Because now we got Jesus, and Jesus is talking to a Samaritan, but, but not just a Samaritan. This is a Samaritan woman. 
And you can imagine, they're, now they're whispering among themselves, like, what, what is he doing? Do, do they know, do, does he know who she is? I mean, that basically she's like a stripper. Does she, do they know, does Jesus know who he's talking to? Like, this is bad, guys, this is bad. Can you imagine what their faces must have looked like? Walking up, seeing everything that they knew and understand is just thrown upside down on his head right now. And they're looking and Jesus is talking to this woman they've been taught to avoid. Like, oh my gosh, what, are we, what is he doing, right? And, and simultaneously while this is happening, while they're walking up, and I don't believe this is an accident. But the same time the disciples are walking back, having this conversation, like, what is Jesus doing? This is so weird. Jesus is revealing who he is to this woman. He's saying, you're looking for the Messiah. You're looking for the Christ, and I am he. I'm the answer to your problems. I I can clear your life up. I can make your life so much better. I can give you freedom and forgiveness. I am who you're looking for, and this woman's mind is blown. I can't believe it. That's how you knew everything about me. This is so amazing. And she's impacted by Jesus, so struck by his love. And then the very next thing she sees, she sees Jesus in his love, and she turns and looks, and she sees the faces of 12 racists. She says, oh, gosh, oh, I got to go. And the Bible says she drops her jar there, and, and she runs back into town to tell people that she met the Christ, that she met Jesus. So here she is, this, this struggle now. If I just met Jesus, he's impacted my life so much, but his followers, they scare me. I, I don't know what to do. I've, I've got to get out of here. So now we've got the boys that come up to Jesus, and they're not willing to actually say what they've been arguing about on the street. They're not going to say, what were you doing with her? So they're like, oh, it's a good day, Jesus, right? Like, uh, nice weather out here. Um, why don't you have something to eat? And Jesus says, oh, I have food you don't even know about. That must have been frustrating for him, right? Like, wait, did you give him food? Who gave him food? Why we, oh my gosh, right? Why do we have to go do that? I think it's so interesting because the fact that Jesus sent them on this errand to get food and Jesus wasn't even willing to eat, he wasn't even hungry, shows that the errand was never even about food. Could it be that Jesus sent them into Samaria because he wanted to show his followers something about themselves? Three observations from this text. The truth about following Jesus. Number one is following Jesus means addressing what you otherwise would have avoided. Following Jesus means addressing what you otherwise would have avoided. I hear a lot of people talk about following Jesus and and it's always just about the good and about Jesus has changed my life and he's blessing me and like there was bad stuff going on in my life and now there's good stuff and that's all true and it's all wonderful but conveniently so many of us like to avoid some things in our lives. And we like to avoid the difficult things, and we like, we're willing to follow Jesus. And, I, and let me just pause for a moment and tell you, if you have a relationship with God, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, then you have a home forever in heaven. You're good. You're solid. He loves you. You're secure. But I wonder sometimes for those of us who say we're his followers, do we take days off? Because I wonder, is maybe Jesus trying to lead you into some situation that you've been trying to avoid And we're saying, "Ah, I think I'm going to sit this one out. That seems a little uncomfortable. 
I know for a lot of you in this room right now, the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you right now and telling you of something that you've been trying to avoid. It might be a conversation with someone. It could be a conflict. It could be asking forgiveness from someone or offering forgiveness to someone. Whatever it is that we know sometimes that if we're following Jesus, we see just like the disciples that there are going to be times that Jesus is going to lead you right into those difficult places that we don't understand, that are challenging and they're difficult and we would like to avoid them on their own. But Jesus is saying, if you stay right on my heels, I'm going to, I'm going to lead you right into the middle of this situation so we can address it instead of trying to spend the rest of our lives avoiding it. So following Jesus means going into difficult places. It means going into Samaria. And that's not just for the 12 disciples. Because we see later in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascends into heaven, uh, we see that he tells us this. He says in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. He says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, your hometown, in Judea, your region, and then Samaria. You're going to go into those places that are awkward and uncomfortable, the places you've been trying to avoid, and you're going to minister there as well. Why? Because that's where I'm going. So I wonder, is there some place that you've been trying to avoid continually maybe? Over and over again, you've made it a habit to, I just don't want to talk about that anymore. I don't want to talk about that person anymore. Maybe that's right where Jesus is trying to lead you into so that we can lean into the Holy Spirit and allow him to address those things in our lives. Because I believe when God sent the disciples, when Jesus sent the disciples into Samaria, he was doing so because he wanted to teach them something about themselves. Is God trying to teach you something about yourself? So, Following Jesus means addressing what you would have otherwise addressed. Number two, the next observation. Following Jesus means walking towards what you don't understand. Walking towards what you don't understand. If everywhere you walk, you already understand it, I wonder if you've missed some of the mission trips that Jesus wants to send you on. Because these disciples, as they were coming back towards Jesus, they were coming back towards the well. In the well, we don't have the time to get into the implications of the well, but the well was a place that was under debate. There was, people in Jerusalem believed that it should be owned by the Jews. People in Samaria believed it should be owned by the Samaritans. It was a place where there was just uh, all sorts of fight about it. Like, it was a hot button topic of the time. So they're walking back towards something they didn't understand. They're seeing their Savior, Jesus, talking to a woman, to a Samaritan. And in all this, they're walking towards things that they just didn't get it. Like, my whole life I've been taught... To, to just do things easy and to avoid the bad things. And now I'm walking right into something I don't understand. I wonder, has your walk with God taken you to places that you don't understand? You know, have you had those moments with Jesus where, where you're uncomfortable and you just don't get it? Ironically, there's been many of us that we've been taught if you don't understand something, if you're uncomfortable, if it's not going the way you want it to, then you've probably done something wrong. But I'm here to tell you today that as we look into this story that, that maybe if you're walking towards something you don't fully understand, maybe it is perfect evidence that you are right on the heels of Jesus and he's taking you to show you something new about himself. And that brings us to the third observation. And the third observation is following Jesus means expanding our limits 
of God's love. Following Jesus means expanding our limits of God's love. See, God's love is not limited. We serve a limitless God, but, but if we're honest, we try to limit God's love to what we understand. And God always calls us to, to love on his level, but we try to just bring him down to our level. And we think, you know what, um, if I don't love this person, if I don't get along with this person, if we don't see eye to eye, then certainly God's not going to love them. You know, because God loves me and I think this way, so certainly he's not going to love them. And, and we keep our love so limited. If I were to just be honest with you, I'm ashamed and how sometimes I can separate myself from people that, that God so desperately loves just because I don't see eye to eye on them. I think, well, well, God, they don't vote the way that I vote. Like, do you know who they voted for? Like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to spend time with them. Do you know how they stand on that issue? Do you know what they say about you, Jesus? Like, if you knew what they said about you, Jesus, you'd probably think, differently and I find myself sometimes if I'm just being honest separating myself from people that he so desperately loves simply because I'm trying to bring God's love down to a human level and I wonder if just like the disciples if you and I stay right on the heels of Jesus and we follow him and we do what he wants us to do and we follow him into the uncomfortable situations he'll lead us into and the, the areas of our lives that we wouldn't want to address, we would avoid them on our own. I wonder if we follow him into these places, if we wouldn't have more of these like light bulb moments like the disciples have. You know, a light bulb moment where it's like, boom, all of a sudden the light's on, I can see clearly, mind blown, wow. I did not realize that God could love someone like that. I did not realize that God could love a Samaritan woman. I didn't realize God could love someone who thinks so much different than me, uh, who, who acts different than me. They, 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 don't, they don't live like me. They don't dress like me. They don't talk like me. I mean, certainly God only loves people that go to Fellowship Church, right? <laughs> certainly God only loves people in my political party, right? But I think that we'll all see that the more we stay right on the heels of Jesus, the more we're going to have those mind-blowing moments where we go, oh my gosh, his love is so much bigger than I ever thought it was. Would you stand with me? I think this is going to be a conversation that we're going to certainly bring into next week, maybe for some weeks to come. But as we address following Jesus, I want to just take a moment and, and offer an opportunity now for any person in this room that would say, you know what, I don't think I've ever decided to follow Jesus. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I've never asked him to be my savior. I don't have a relationship with him. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity today before we pray and we dismiss to where you could start a relationship with God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then the Bible says that the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Every one of us deserve death. We deserve separation from God, but he gives us a free gift. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So with no one looking around, if you bow your heads and close your eyes, I just want to um, give you an opportunity right now. And I want to ask you, 
I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. There's no one looking around. But if you're here today and you'll say, I've never started a relationship with Jesus Christ and I want to do so today, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand on the count of three. And no one looking around, just from my eyes, so I can pray with you and lead you through a prayer. If you've never started a relationship with God and you want to do so today, on the count of three, one, two, three, put your hand up in the air. Put your hand up in the air. Thank you for your honesty. Praise God. I see your hand. I see your hand too. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. God is tugging on your hearts right now. All of you that just raised your hand, um, I'm going to pray a prayer and we're going to invite Jesus to become your Lord and Savior. That He would give you a home forever in heaven. He'd forgive you of your sins. And I think for us to do this and not let anyone feel left out. Our entire church is going to repeat this prayer after me so that no one feels left out today. And we're going to pray this prayer together. There is many hands. Let's pray right now. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose again to give me a home forever in heaven. So please forgive me of my sins. Please be my God and give me a home forever in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we wanna celebrate with you. Would you raise your hand so we can celebrate with you? Thank you so much. Praise God. Thank you, man. It's awesome. Awesome. Now, for all of us in this room today that we know we're secure in our relationship with God, I want to ask you the question. Are you following Jesus? Are you following him into the difficult places? Are you following him into those areas that you don't understand? Is your mind being blown day after day with how incredibly limitless his love is for you and for those around you? Let's pray. God, I pray right now that as you have begun to speak into our spirit right now, some areas that you want us to address some things. You want us to walk us in areas that we don't understand. Just like Abraham, when you're like, you just told Abraham, go. And like, okay, we'll go. Where do you want us to go? Well, I'll tell you when you get there. Well, God, that could be scary. But right now, I pray that we would be the type of people that we will follow you no matter what. If it's scary, if it's uncomfortable, if it's painful, it doesn't matter. We're going to follow you because we understand your love for us is so great that you want to see us change and you want to see us grow. So God, I thank you for every person in this room. And I pray that this would be a message that as we leave here, this wouldn't just be a Sunday morning message. But Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, we would follow you into the difficult places you want us to walk into. No, we wouldn't avoid pain. We wouldn't avoid uncomfort, but we would follow you because we trust you. We love you. So God, help us to understand your love more. Help us, God, as we leave here to be the type of people that the world looks at and says, look, those people are trying to be like Christ. (laughs) They're Christians. God, what an honor that we could be those type of people. We love you, God, and we thank you for every person in this room. And we pray that our lives will glorify and magnify you in everything we do. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. And we all gave him a shout of praise. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.